This anointed teaching by Apostle Theo Volmerans comes to you from Christian Family Church International. Father, we thank you for the word. As I come to teach this morning, I make it known that I'm not trusting, I'm not depending on limited human abilities to teach, but I am trusting in you. And therefore, I know without doubt that you will anoint my mind that I might grasp the revelation that will rise in abundance from our heart. I thank you, Father, that your word will flow from my mouth smoothly, accurately, clearly, without hindrance from anything, carried by your anointing, power, and love to each person's mind, bringing understanding, removing confusion, and that your word will enter every heart that faith will rise and all fear will leave. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory for all that's revealed and accomplished through your word and by your spirit here today in the wonderful name of Jesus. And all those who love the Lord said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. My message is titled, Living in God's Favor. Living in God's Favor. This teaching will set you free. It'll spring you into blessing that you never imagined would be possible. The first step into the Father's favor is to truly believe that God wants to bless you. How many of you truly believe that God wants to bless you? Are you fully persuaded? Well, today you will become fully persuaded. Remember that a covenant is total giving from two different parties to each other. If I were to enter a covenant with someone, with you, then you'd give everything you own to me and I'd give everything I own to you. Even our lives would give to each other. The two lives would become one life. They share all their assets, their liabilities with each other. The two lives become one. Now, God has done that with you and me. Jesus Christ entered a covenant with us in which God gave his own blood, Acts 20, 28. God gave his own blood to purchase a covenant with us. We gave our life to him when we came for salvation. We gave our life to Jesus, did we not? So I give you my life, Lord, because you've given your life to me on the cross that I might be saved. And in turn, I'll give you my life. I have no life of my own. I'm dead in my sin, bound for hell. I'll give you all that I am. And he makes something out of that. Amen? So, when two people enter a covenant, there are eight possible steps that can take place. They would not necessarily take all eight steps, but any of the eight could be used when entering a covenant. The eight Bible steps are, number one, an exchange of coats. Number two, an exchange of weapons. Three, an exchange of names. Four, the cutting of wrists. They cut each other's wrists, and then they would rub their wrists together. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. When the blood mixes, the two lives are considered one life. Number five, the splitting of the animal. They lie the two halves next to each other. And then it says, in, then in number six, they walk between 
the two halves and a figure of eight. Eight signifies infinity, the length of that covenant. And they would be announcing the blessings and the cursings as they walk between the two halves of the animal. Every covenant has blessings and cursings. In other words, if you'll do what I, if you come to my help when I need it, you'll be blessed. And these are the blessings that will come on you. I announce those. And if you forsake me when I need your help, these are the curses that will come on you when I need your help and you forsake me. So they try and curse each other to such a degree that they'll be terrified to ever not come when help is needed. All right, then number seven, setting up a covenant memorial to remember the covenant. Number eight, two people eating a covenant meal, which usually consisted of meat and bread and wine. Now, the first covenant meal that was ever eaten in the Bible is found in Genesis 14, verse 18. You can either go there or look up at the screens. I'm reading from the New King James translation. Then Melchizedek, king of Solom, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high. God is the possessor of heaven and earth. And the bless and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies, Abram, into your hand. And Abram gave Melchizedek a tithe of everything he received in that war. So notice verse 20 says, God has delivered your enemies into your hand, Abraham. Now what is going on here? What is this war all about? Well, three kings came through the land and kidnapped Lot and his family, the nephew of Abraham. So Abraham took his servants, 318 servants in his household, and set off after that army. Those three armies conquered them and received all the spoil, that is the gold, the silver, the jewelry, brought that home. And the Bible says here that he gave 10% of that to Melchizedek, and Melchizedek blessed Abraham with a blessing of abundance. And you'll see that in Abraham's life, he became very, very rich. When he sent his servant back to Ur the Chaldeans, Mesopotamia, to go find a wife for Isaac, Rachel, uh, Rebecca, sorry, they took 10 camels loaded down with precious stones and jewelry and gold and silver to give her as an invitation to come get married. Wouldn't that be nice, ladies? Okay. So we see that they ate the covenant meal together. In doing that, God is in the process of entering a covenant with Abraham. God is. Since Abraham and all his children will belong to God in that covenant, then God can bring Christ to the earth through Mary legally. Remember God gave the earth away to Adam. He said, Adam, I give you dominion over all the work of my hands. Rule as the owner. And then Adam sinned and submitted by doing that to the devil and Satan seized Adam's authority and used that authority against man from that day on. That's why 2 Corinthians 4, 4 calls Satan the God of this world. Because he's the God of the unsaved. He's the God of the world system. And where did he get that from? He got it from Adam. God gave it to Adam. 
Praise God, Jesus came, the second Adam, according to 1 Corinthians 15, and he undid what the first Adam did and gave us authority once more back in the earth. Amen? Put us back in charge. What God did for the first Adam, Christ did for us. Now, since Abraham and all his children belong to God in that covenant, God said to Abraham, I'm on the outside looking in. I have no access, no authority in the earth. I need to have authority to rescue man from their dilemma. Make a covenant with me, Abraham, where everything you own becomes mine and everything I am and own becomes yours. Our two lives have become one life, Abraham. So Melchizedek, Christ, came to the earth to set up that covenant with Abraham. When Abraham entered that covenant, now everything that Abraham owns, all his children become God's. And so Mary, a descendant of Abraham, is now God's possession. And God can bring Christ to the earth legally through Mary. That's why Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I came in through the gate, into the sheepfold. But he said, there's someone else that came over the fence, talking about the devil who came in immorally into the earth. So, now God has an access into the earth through Abraham's covenant to bring Christ to the earth. The eating of this covenant meal represents the blood and body of Jesus, yet to be sacrificed sometime in the future, because Melchizedek lived long before Christ came to the earth through Mary. This is the price that God will pay to make this covenant possible, is what happens at Calvary. God brought life and assets to the covenant table. And man had nothing to offer except death and debt. Yet God made a covenant with man. God gave Abraham the victory in the battle. From which Abraham was able to give back to God a tenth of the spoils that God gave him. Therefore Abraham returns to God a portion of what God has already given to Abraham. The reason for this is when a covenant is entered into, then both parties give all to each other. And the two lives become one life. When Abraham gave his tenth to, to the Lord, he is saying, all I own is yours. Listen to that carefully. When, when Abraham gave his tenth to Melchizedek or to Christ, he is saying, all I own is yours. That's what that act implies. When the Lord Jesus ate the bread and the wine with his disciples in the upper room before he was crucified, he was entering a covenant with the human race. Matthew 26, 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of a new covenant. The first covenant was the one between Abraham and Melchizedek or Abraham and God, sealed with the blood of animals. But the second covenant, according to Jesus right here, is the blood of God himself. Acts 20, 28 says God's own blood was shed on Calvary to ratify, to enforce, to purchase the new covenant. Seal it. So the first covenant sealed by the blood of animals, the second one by blood of God. So now the New Testament, the second covenant, the second covenant, is between God and Jesus, sealed with God's own blood. 
When Abraham ate the covenant meal with Melchizedek and tithed, there was all types and shadows of Jesus, our covenant sacrifice, who would die for our salvation. In a few minutes, I'll tell you exactly who Melchizedek was. I'll show you in the Bible. In eating this covenant meal, Abraham represented the human race, and Melchizedek represented God. Abraham bringing his tithe to Melchizedek is a symbol of his willingness to partake in a covenant with God. When Abraham gives his tithe, he is giving his life. When I give my tithe to God, I'm giving 10% of all I am and all I can do to earn money. I'm giving my time, my life to God, 10% of it. So I'm demonstrating, God, I'm in covenant with you. I give all, you give all. I'm walking in that relationship. In eating this covenant meal with Melchizedek, Abraham represented the human race. Abraham bringing his tithe to Melchizedek is a symbol of his willingness to partake of this covenant. And eating the covenant meal, this symbolizes, represents the life of Jesus. That covenant meal represents the life of Jesus to be sacrificed. Jesus said, this is my body, sacrificed for you. So when they ate the covenant meal, hundreds of years before the cross, that was remembering what's going to happen in the future where Christ will give his life to enter this covenant with man. Now in this covenant, Jesus gave us all on the cross. Let's say this together. And when I, in turn, give my life, I give all I own to Jesus. That's how I enter the covenant of salvation. Again, when I come to Christ, I give all I own to Jesus. All I am, I surrender to Jesus. That's the only way to enter the covenant of salvation. Do you understand that? Some folks got this idea, I just have to come to church and accept Jesus. People like that don't get born again. They don't. They might have religion, but they don't have salvation. The only way to salvation, hear me now, is when you come to God and say, God, I'll give you my life. I'll give you my life. You gave your life to me to purchase salvation. I'll give my life to you to save it. If I don't give my life to you to save it, I can't be saved. Do you understand that, family? There's only one Lord. Jesus must be Lord of my life, not me. I have to change lordships. I'm running my own life until I come to Jesus. I say, Jesus, done. Now, I'll give you my life. You are my Lord. You run my life. There's a big difference between salvation and religion. Are you tracking me, church? Okay, this is very important. That is, at least. Now, let's have a look at the New Testament. This is after death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, right? Let's see what the book of Hebrews says, reflecting on Abraham and Melchizedek. This will throw a lot more light on the subject. Hebrews 6.20, NIV translation. Jesus has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. 
What does this mean? Jesus became a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This is saying Jesus is carrying out the instructions God gave to Melchizedek. When is Jesus carrying this instruction out? Right now in heaven on the right hand of God. Jesus is carrying out the order, the instruction God gave to Melchizedek. And what would that be? Let's find out, Hebrews 7.1. This Melchizedek was king of Solomon, priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed Abraham. And Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of everything. First, his name means, Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness. Then also king of Solomon, which means king of peace. Melchizedek is without father or mother. He has no father or mother. Without genealogy, he has no descendants. Without beginning of days or end of life. There's no record of his birth, no record of his death. He was never born, he never died. He is like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. He is eternal. So who is it? It is Christ. Melchizedek is Christ who came to the earth hundreds of years before he was born in a manger in order to enter a covenant with Abraham to bring salvation to the human race. Verse 4. Just think how great Melchizedek was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Melchizedek collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed Abraham who had the promises. Here on earth, mortal men receive tithes. So, when we tithe this morning... The leadership of the church receives the tithes. Whatever church you belong to, when you tithe there, the leadership of that church receives the tithes. So here on earth, mortal men receive the tithes. But, read on, it says, but there in heaven, now, Jesus receives the tithe, of whom it is witness that he lives. So say this, when I bring my tithe to church and give it to mortal men, I am also, at the same time, bringing my tithe to Jesus, who receives it now in heaven. That's what this said in the Bible, the New Testament. So what is the order God is talking about? It is the order of God's covenant of blessing. Say that. It's the order of God's covenant of of blessing. The blood was shed to bring about a covenant to bless humanity. There is the order where God gives abundance to us and we in turn return the tenth of what he has given to us. That's the principle Melchizedek and Abraham operate in. Where God gives us abundance like he did to Abraham in the, in the conquering of those three kings. And then we return 10% of that to God. You see, when we have this covenant operating, then God starts to give abundance to us. And as long as we keep giving him 10% of all that he gives us, it increases. The abundance increases. That's how this blessing, this covenant blessing of Melchizedek works. The order of Melchizedek. Now, the tenth represents or demonstrates that we are participating in this covenant of blessing. This covenant of giving our lives to each other. Say that my tenth 
represents, that, uh, 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 says, demonstrates, say that, the tenth, that I give demonstrates that I'm participating in this covenant of blessing, this covenant of giving my life to God. So when I give my tenth or tithe to God, I'm giving my life to God. The 10% of all my increase belongs to God. In other words, we are bringing our tithe to Jesus, our high priest. Jesus will receive them, and Jesus will bless us with this covenant of blessing. This covenant blessing from Jesus takes place when I bring my tithe to church. We see that tithing was a covenant practice then, a covenant practice. The children of Israel are about to attack Jericho as they cross into Canaan, the land of their inheritance. God gives them some instructions before they go into Canaan. Joshua 6.17 the city and everything in it must be completely destroyed. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into the treasury, into the temple for its running costs. Okay? So the silver and gold, etc., must be tithed. It must be a tithe back to God, a tithe of the spoil they will inherit when they conquer Jericho. When they conquer Jericho. So why would God tell them to kill everybody in the city? And why would God tell them to kill everybody in Canaan? Because the Canaanites were pagan worshippers. They sacrificed their babies to Baal on the altar of sacrifice and burnt them. They had sex with animals. They worshipped idols. And God did not want them, their time of judgment had come, God did not want them to contaminate his people and destroy the seed that's coming through the generations to Mary to, to, to bring salvation to the earth. So God had to protect that seed from all of that demonic activity. So he said, kill them all for our salvation's sake. Are you tracking me, church? Now then. Since God gave them victory and God is giving them Canaan, he wants his tithe. Exactly as Abraham tithed and God gave him the victory over the three kings. We all know the story very well. Israel marched around the walls of Jericho for seven days. The walls fell down. Israel conquered Jericho. In Joshua 7.1, But Israel was unfaithful concerning the things set apart for the Lord a man named Achan had stolen some of these things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. This is the tithe of the spoil from conquering Jericho that God wants. Exactly what Abraham did when he tithed to Melchizedek. Abraham gave 10% of all that he received in the battle. God requires a tithe from Jericho for giving Israel the victory in that battle over Jericho. Joshua 7.2 says, Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the land of Ai. Ai is a tiny little town, much smaller than Jericho. When they returned, they told Joshua, it's a small town. It won't take more than two or 3,000 of us to destroy it. There's no need of all of us to go there. Now, remember, there's 3 million Israelites, okay? He said, just give me 2,000, 3,000 soldiers. We'll conquer that little town. 
So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent out to conquer Ai, but they were sadly defeated. The men of Ai chased them and killed about 36 Israelis who were treating, retreating down the slope. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothes in dismay, threw dust on their heads, and bowed down, facing the ark of the Lord until evening. But the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned, watch this, and broken my covenant. Now, he could have said Israel has sinned and broken the Ten Commandments. Tithing wasn't part of the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down the mountain, Ten Commandments didn't have tithing on there. He could have said, you've broken the law. He didn't. He said, you've broken my covenant. The one I made with Melchizedek and Abraham. You've broken it. They have stolen things I have commanded to be set apart for me, the tithe. And they have not only stolen them, they've also lied about it and hidden the things among their belongings. So notice God says when they took the gold and silver, they broke covenant. So this tithing is a covenant act. In the next verse, you'll see that Israel is defeated, conquered, because they had no covenant with God. Verse 12, that is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat, because they have no covenant with God. For now Israel has been set apart for destruction and not remain with you any longer. According to the new covenant, in the New Testament, I'm supposed to give my life to God because he gave his life to me. That's the covenant of salvation. Now, family, I want to ask you a question. If I can't return to God, his 10% of all the increase he gives me. How can I say with a clear conscience, I have given my life to God? How can I say I have given my life to God if I can't even give him 10% of what he gives me. If I withhold God's tenth from him, my action clearly says I broke my covenant with God. I'm not giving when he needs me to give. If I need God's help, he'll come to me because that's covenant. And he is my help by giving him 10% to reach this world with the gospel. And I'm not giving it. I've broken the covenant. Because Achan took God's tithe, 36 Israeli men died. If we don't tithe, how many people will miss heaven? If Christians did not tithe, there would be no churches today in the world. There would be no pastors employed to care for the sheep. There are no evangelists out there preaching the gospel. Rana Bonka would never have been heard of if Christians had never tithed. Thank God for some who do. Imagine if all did. Imagine if all did. We could have turned this world right way up. We could have turned this world right way up. God instructs us to tithe for three reasons. Number one, by tithing we are clearly, we are, so act, we are actually participating with Jesus' effort to bring the lost world to salvation. Jesus died for the lost world. We are financing that and participating in his ministry when we tithe, getting behind him in the scrum. 
Number two, our tithes are to open the windows of heaven above us so that God can abundantly bless us in every way. Every way. The third reason for tithing is to close the door on the devil. God said, I, Malachi 3.11, I will rebuke the devourer, the devil, for your sakes when we tithe. As we have seen, tithing, what belongs to God, breaks the covenant. So taking, sorry. Taking what belongs to God breaks the covenant. And when Jesus ate the covenant meal with his disciples in the upper room, he said that the wine represents his blood and the bread his body. Therefore, when Abraham and Melchizedek ate the covenant meal together of bread and wine, it was a type and a shudder of Jesus' sacrifice at Calvary. By eating this covenant meal, Melchizedek was saying to Abraham, by eating the covenant meal, Melchizedek, Christ, was saying to Abraham, I want you to enter the blessing of prosperity that I will purchase for you on the cross in the future. Abraham, I want you to enter with me into the blessing of prosperity that I will purchase for you on the cross in the future. That's what Melchizedek was saying to Abraham, and Abraham tithed, and guess what? He received it. He was blessed mightily and became very rich, very successful, lived to be a ripe old age. After eating the covenant meal with Melchizedek, Abraham tithed into that covenant demonstrating that he had faith in the covenant, that he wanted to participate in the covenant. So this tithing is a covenant act. So those who don't tithe are really walking in fear. They're not walking in faith. They're afraid they won't have enough money if they tithe. That's a lie from the devil. They have no confidence in the covenant. By not tithing, they are demonstrating, I don't believe in this covenant. They don't believe that their covenant partner, Jesus, will meet their financial needs. So they choose to not participate in the covenant. They're going to try and make it on their own. This now becomes an open door for the devil to steal from them. The Father cannot protect them from Satan, the thief. You see, Malachi 3.9 says, You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. So what curse is that? It's the open door through which the devil can attack them. That's what that curse is. Not God cursing somebody. It's the devil's access. He has access to attack them. The, the solution is not fasting and praying. He said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. So he says, if you'll tithe, I'll open the windows and bless you. So the curse refers to in verse 9 is the open door through which the devil can attack those who break the covenant of God by not bringing his portion of their increase to him. Verse 10 refers to the blessing of obeying the covenant of tithing. We saw what happened to the children of Israel when they kept what belonged to God. They were defeated by their enemies and they had to flee for their lives. This is the curse Malachi 3.9 is talking about. Those who don't tithe struggle so much. Those who don't tithe struggle so much. In 40 years, I've seen non-tithers struggling with sickness. Sickness in their life, in their wife or husband, and in their children. I've seen them suffer from financial lack. I've seen things go wrong in their children. Never work out right. 
They'll try and try and try, but they're on a, on a, on a roller coaster they can't get off of. Until they start tithing, Satan has access to steal from them, rob them, hurt them, do everything he wants to them. It's not worth it. Fighting demons without authority. Not worth it. Those who are tithers can stand confidently against the financial storms of life. I can never guarantee you that all the economies of all the worlds are going to be great and perfect all the time. But no matter what the economy is, when you are a tither and standing under open heaven, you can command the blessings that Jesus bought for you on the cross to come to you, and they will. God can bless your life. God is not dependent on the earth's economy. And he will. When God touches someone's life, nothing can stop that person from rising to the top. So you can boldly appropriate your covenant blessing if you're a tither. Since you're standing under an open heaven, because you're in covenant relationship with God, you can use your authority boldly. You must boldly call in your financial blessing. It's your inheritance. It's your Canaan's land. Tithing is evident of your faith. Just like the man was let down on his bed through the tithing of the roof and lay before Jesus in Mark chapter 2, Jesus saw his faith and healed the man. God was with Abraham when he fought against the three kings who kidnapped Lot. God was with Joshua and the Israelites when they fought in battle of Jericho and conquered it. God was with the Israelites when they conquered Canaan and claimed their inheritance. However, in all these cases, they had to do the fighting. They had to do the fighting. Even though God was on their side and God worked through them and God worked for them, they had to go in there with swords and spears and bows and arrows. Now, these are all types and shadows of what we must do today. I'm not saying we must go into battle with with spears and bows and arrows and swords. No, we don't fight that way. Our fighting is the good fight of faith. The Bible said, fight the good fight of faith. Say that, I must fight the good fight of faith. It's a good fight because I win. Amen? So, how do I do that? God expects you and me to boldly declare that finances are flowing into our hands to fund the gospel. Say that, I must boldly declare that finances are flowing into my hands to finance the gospel. I must boldly declare it. Because I'm walking in the covenant as a tither. And when we say that, standing in our covenant authority, God sends abundance to us. And then when we receive that abundance, we give Him 10% of it. And the good news is you get to keep 80% or 90% of everything God gives you after you've tithed and given offerings. However, if I do not get up and boldly proclaim that Satan is bound over my finances, it's not going to happen. I must get up and boldly proclaim that Satan is bound over my finances. Otherwise, it will not happen. If you do not boldly declare that the angels are loosed to bring the finances to you, it will not happen. 
The Bible said angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. It didn't say the angels will minister to you. It said for you. For you. Like a waiter in a restaurant. You say, I want this to eat. The waiter goes and gets it and brings it to you. That's what the angel does. Exactly that. The angels are waiting to hear what you say to them. Angels, I release you. Go and get my finances and bring it to me. When you do that, the waiter goes off and does it. Angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who are heirs of salvation. You must release your angels. Some angels stand by somebody's life their whole 70, 80, 90 years and they never get commissioned. Never get put to work. Why? Because Joseph's just humble. He won't say anything to his angel. He's too humble. No, he's too stupid. <laughs> or ignorant. If you have 10,000 rand cash in your pocket right now, and you don't take some money out and buy some food, in 30, 40, 50 days, you will be dead. Even if you've got 10,000 around your pocket, you will be dead. <laughs> you've got to take your money out of your pocket, go buy some food and eat it. See how much we learn in church. You've got to spend your money to buy food. Now you can die defeated. You can die defeated with a heart full of faith. A heart full of faith if you don't spend your faith. How? By boldly declaring that finances are flowing into your hands so I can finance the gospel. I've got to spend my faith by saying, I declare finances are flowing into my hands so I can finance the gospel. And if you are a tither, God is ready to bless you with as much money as you are able to believe for. I'm here to tell you right now, God is willing to bless you with as much money as you are able to believe for if you are a tither. Because whatever He gives you, some of it's going to the gospel, and God knows you're not a miser, you're not controlled by money. It's only those who can't tithe that are controlled by money. But tithers are free from that. Tithing says, I'm free, God is my God, money is not my God, it's my servant. Boldly tell the devil, take your hands off my harvest. I sow and I reap. Thank you very much. The angels are waiting for you to speak. They, they will honor the covenant of blessing that you have with God. Step out and boldly declare. Don't ever become passive. Be aggressive in using your faith to declare into the spirit realm. I'm blessed of God. But there's times in my life when the devil has been trying to hinder the churches or, or whatever it is. And I will close the windows and the doors and I'll draw the curtains. And then I'll get in that room and I'll scream as loud as I can at the devil and command him and the demons to take their hands off our harvest and off the people. And I'll release the angels as loud as I can. I'll get aggressive with my faith. 
The devil's not going to listen to you say, Mr. Devil, please would you mind leaving my money alone? <laughs> Mr. Devil, think about this. Let's talk about this. That's a good idea to steal my money. Please, give me a break, will you? He's going to say, sure, hey, let's make a deal here. You think the devil's going to negotiate with you like that? You have no chance. We must confess that God is prospering me and Satan is bound over me. Boldly tell the devil, take his hands off your harvest. The angels are waiting to hear your words. Now here are some scriptures you can stand on. Write them down. 3 John 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things. New Testament. 2 Corinthians 8 9 tells us Christ became poor that we might become rich. New Testament. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Trust in God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. New Testament. Matthew 6.32 Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Jesus said, And He will give you all you need from day to day if you live for Him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Well, if I'm saying God prosper me so I can finance the gospel, then I am making the kingdom of God my primary concern. Philippians 4.19, Amplified. And my God will liberally supply, full to the full, your every need, according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. According to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Not according to earth's economy. Let us meditate on these scriptures and claim them as ours. And whatever you are trusting God for, whatever you need, whatever you're believing for, boldly declare it's yours after meditating on these scriptures. Claim it because the Father's waiting to bless you. The Father's eager to bless you. And you are living in a covenant of blessing with God. You are His child. And He loves you. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, the Amplified translation. God loves, He takes pleasure in, prize above other things, and is unwilling to abandon or do without a cheerful, joyous, prompt-to-do-it giver whose heart is in His giving. Now have a look at that. It says God loves, He takes pleasure in a cheerful giver. He prizes above other things a cheerful giver. He is unwilling to abandon a cheerful giver. And verse 8 and God is able to make all grace, all grace, and every favor, all favor, and every earthly blessing come to you in abundance. God is able to do that. It didn't say if the economy is right. So that you may always under all circumstances, no matter how bad the economy, under all circumstances, and whatever the need, be self-sufficient. You can be self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid, no support. You don't need anybody's help because you are just so abundantly blessed, and you are furnished in abundance, and every good work. Why? Why? And you are furnished in abundance for every good work and charitable donation. So that God wants to bless me so I can finance every good work. That's the reason. God loves the giver. 
the tither. God has put before us blessing and cursing. Choose blessing. Let's live in God's favor. Say this, God wants me to live in His grace. In every favor and every earthly blessing. In this covenant with God, we have inherited all God is. I've inherited all God owns. I've inherited all that God can do. That's in the Bible, Romans 8:17. That's where that is. New Testament. 1 John 4, 17, as Christ is, so are we now in this world. So this, I'm a ruler in this world. I am an overcomer. I am a conqueror. I'm created in the image of Christ. I am to subdue. I am to subdue and take dominion. Because I'm a tither. I am the one who has given all to God. So I'm walking in the covenant of abundance. I'm living in the covenant of abundance with God's wisdom, with God's ability. And John 14, 14, if you command anything in my name, I will do it. If you command anything in my name, I will do it. Why will he do it? Because I'm your covenant partner. If you need me, I'm there for you. You are a tither. Command it and I'll do it. That's what Jesus said. John 14, 14. We are to boldly use Christ's authority as if it were our own authority because it is our own authority. So this Christ's authority is mine because of the blood covenant. Command the abundant blessings that God paid for to come to you. Say today I command the abundant blessing of God that he paid for to come to me. And he'll do it for me with confidence because he knows he can trust me to return his 10% to him. Thank you, Jesus. I want to just use Matthew 18, 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Jesus is saying, whatever you command of my name, I'll do it. So whatever you allow on earth, I will allow it. Whatever you don't allow on earth, I will make sure it doesn't happen. I'll back you up. You have total authority around here. Did you know who you are? You're standing under open, open heaven. You're God's child. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerans. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerans and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com. 